All right, and I wanna, um, if we could keep Dave and Casey in our prayers this morning, Dave and Casey, our lead pastors, they have been traveling all week in Austria and they have been at a church planning conference. And I had, I just talked to them the other day and they are just having the best time. They're getting their cups filled. They're learning so much. So if you could pray for the rest of their journey and safe travels home, that would be much appreciated. So um, we are in our Christmas series. I still can't believe it, even though we still have so snow flying everywhere. I cannot believe we're in our Christmas series. And we um, are talking about Emmanuel, God with us. Emmanuel, God with us. And last week, Dave was in the Old Testament and he talked about how God physically walked with Adam and Eve in the garden. He walked alongside them in the garden. And we're gonna keep it in the Old Testament here this morning. And um, for those of you who maybe grew up in Sunday school, you maybe have heard of this message before. Or maybe you didn't grow up in Sunday school, but you heard the story of a brave tomato, a brave cucumber, and a brave asparagus. If you know what I'm talking about, um, these three vegetables were known as Rack Shack and Benny. And they refused to bow down to a giant chocolate bunny, okay? But today, my goal is to take us out of that children mindset of Rack Shack and Benny and put us in the adult world of um, three brave men um, and how they showed courage and how they showed faith in a fire. So we are going to be lucky for you. We are going to be reading all through Daniel three today. So buckle up. Um, and we are going to see how, again, God is Emmanuel, God with us. So we're going to start in chapter three and it says, King Nebuchadnezzar, he made an image of a gold 60 cubits high and 60 cubits wide, or excuse me, six cubits wide and set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. So then the king, he summoned the satraps, the prefects, the governors, advisors, the treasurers, the, the judges, the magistrates, and all other provincial officials to come to the dedication of the image that he had set up. So the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the advisors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all other provincial officials assembled for the dedication of the image that the king had set up and they stood before it. Then the herald loudly proclaimed, proclaimed nations and people of every language, this is what you are commanded to do. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, the pipe, and all other kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of God that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into the blazing furnace. So therefore, as soon as they heard the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, and all other kinds of music, all the nations of people of every language fell down and worshiped the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. So this is where we start our story here this morning. We have King Nebi. That's what I like to call him, King Nebi. He created a statue, a big gold statue. And if, if you could imagine it, it is about 90 feet tall. So 90 feet tall and it's made of gold and it's placed on these plains where people from miles away can see this image, this statue. And whenever they hear the music, they all bow down and worship together. 
Now, the text does not tell us what the image is of. We don't know. It could be King Nebuchadnezzar himself. It could be one of the gods that King Nebuchadnezzar worshiped. We don't know what the image is, but they were called down to worship this statue. And truly, it doesn't matter what the statue is. What matters was three brave men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, were told to worship another god. Another god rather than the one true god that they worshiped. And this is the pressure in Babylon that they faced. And now you and I, if you can believe it, we are not that far from Babylon today. We live in a culture where there is constant pressure all around us to worship other things besides the one true God. We know that, we see that every single day. Our culture almost demands it of us to worship other idols. There are multi-million dollar advertising machines that make us bow down to them. There are political machines that make our loyalty bow down to them. There's things all around us. There's, there's spiritual things that make us bow down to them that are not moral. And these things today, they make up Babylon. So we are in Babylon today, if you think about it. And we know Babylon is an ancient city. We know that it was an opponent to God, but it's also a metaphor of the things around us today that take our attention off the one true God. Now we know we don't have statues today. We don't have big 90 feet gold statues, but idolatry is still rampant. Idolatry is still rampant today. And we need need to ask ourselves here this morning, well, do I have an idol? What is my idol? So if we think about that this morning, what is our idol? We can think of it like this. Your idol is the thing that you think about all the time you spend the most energy on, and you spend the most money towards. That's probably your idol. And a lot of the time, money isn't always an idol. Money is a means to your idol. It could be comfort. It could be security. It could be an image trying to keep up with that. Keeping up with an image so everybody else thinks you have a certain life when really it's the complete opposite. You want everybody to think your life is a certain way so people know that it's better than theirs. That could be an idol. It could be relationships. An idol could be relationships in your life. It could be your kids. It could be your kids' sports. That could be an idol. But basically, whatever it is that moves up and up and up your totem pole, and that is above everything else, is your idol. So I want you to reflect on that this morning and maybe as you leave here today, think, okay, where is all my money going? Where is all my energy going? Where's all my focus going? Do I have an idol? And is it above the one true God? And we soon find out, we soon find out that our awesome threesome, they don't bow down to this idol. They knew they were in Babylon, but they also clearly knew they were not of Babylon. So let's read on in verse eight. And it says, at this time, some astrologers came forward and denounced the Jews. And they said to King Nebuchadnezzar, may the king live forever. 
your majesty has issued a decree. They're saying, listen, I'm gonna remind you of the decree that you issued, okay? Your majesty has issued a decree that whoever hears the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, the pipe, and all other kinds of music must fall down and worship the image of gold. And that whoever does not fall down and worship will be thrown into a blazing furnace. Do you remember the decree that you put in, in place? But I just wanna let you know, they said, there are some Jews who you have set over the affairs of province of Babylon, known as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they pay no attention to you, your majesty. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold you have set up. So if you can picture, there's hundreds, maybe thousands of people who they hear the music and they just basically eat pavement. They're down and worshiping these image except the three guys in the back. And they're probably just kind of looking around, you know, thinking, oh, I hope they don't see me. They're basically saying, hashtag, not my king. I'm not worshiping. And I want to real quick point out, because this is Daniel, the book of Daniel. Where is Daniel? Okay. And for those of you who know the book of Daniel, um, he is kind of the ringleader of these three men. He is the leader of these men. So where is he in this time that they probably need him the most? Well, we can look in Daniel 2, and it basically says that he remained at the royal court. So he was at the royal court when all this was going down with his friends. So what can we learn from this that their leader is not with them at this time? Well, we can learn from this that when the leader goes away, this is the time where we figure out what we're made of. We figure out who we are and what we are made of. You look in the corporate world and there's bosses. You look in here in ministry and there's lead pastors. I mean, Dave is gone across the country and, and he relies us to step up when he is out of town. And, and Daniel is the guy that he interprets all the dreams and he talks to the administrators and, and he's the guy that these three men follow but he's not here, he's back in the royal court. So basically they need to learn that when your key guy is gone, it's time to step up. When the leader is gone and the pressure cranks up, in those moments, it's time for ordinary people to step up and that's exactly what happens here. So let's read on in verse 13. King Nebuchadnezzar, he is furious with rage. He's furious with rage at Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. So he summons them. So these three men were brought before the king and, the ne and Nebuchadnezzar said to them, he said, is it true? Is it true Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I have set up? Is it true? He says, listen, I'm gonna give you one more chance. Now, when you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, the pipe, and all other kinds of music, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I made, then very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into the fire or the blazing furnace. Then he says this, he says, then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand. He says, then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? Those are some fighting words coming from King Nebi. And you see how he positions himself. He basically says, listen, I'm here and your gods are down here. Who's gonna save you? 
And I think that is a question that we have all in our heads today, or it's not in our heads today. It has been at some point. And the question is, is God able to save me? Is God able to save me? And, and whether we realize it or not, it has been on our hearts and it has been in the back of our minds in one time or another. Is God able to save me? And maybe your situation is a work thing. Maybe it's a financial thing, a relationship thing, a health thing. But is God able to save me from this furnace? And it's like we would say, you know, I would fully follow you if I knew you could save me. I would fully trust you if I knew you could save me. So King Nebuchadnezzar throws out that question. And right now we have a showdown between the three men and the king. And he says, listen, what God is going to be able to save you from my hand? And this is how they replied. And this is probably by far my, my favorite scripture of the Old, Te- Old Testament. And this is how they replied. They said, King Nebuchadnezzar. And actually, in some translations, it says, oh, King Nebuchadnezzar, like, oh, bless your heart. And you know if you've heard, oh, bless your heart before, it's not a compliment. (laughs) They say, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If, if we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able. The God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. And I want you to pay attention to this next line, because this is like a, a mic drop moment. And he says, but even if he doesn't, but even if he does not, we want you to know your majesty We will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. I mean, that's holy boldness right there. They said, even if he doesn't, we still will not worship your gods. And that is something that we need to say until we believe it. That is something we need to recite until we feel it. Our God is able, but even if he doesn't, And this is the type of faith that they show here that transforms human hearts. This is the type of faith that transforms human culture. The faith that says, listen, I believe God can heal. I believe God can deliver. I believe God can save, but God doesn't have to. And that's why he's God and I'm not. And even if he doesn't, I will still bow down to him. They're basically saying, listen, King Nebuchadnezzar, you can squash me, you can cancel me, you can kill me, you can oppress me, you can throw me in the fire. I still won't bow down to your gods. So verse 19, then King Nebuchadnezzar, he was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and his attitude towards them changed. So this is what he did. He ordered the furnace be heated seven times hotter than usual. And he commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So these men wearing their robes, their trousers, their turbans, and other clothes were bound. They were tied together and they were indeed thrown into the blazing furnace. And the king's command was so urgent that the furnace was so hot, the flames of the fire actually killed the soldiers who took them up, 
who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And the three men were firmly tied and they did fall into the blazing furnace. That next moment, the king, he, he leaped up from his feet in amazement and he asked his advisors, you guys, listen, weren't there three men that were tied up and that threw into the fire? And they replied, yeah, yeah, there were three men, certainly your majesty. And he says, look, there's one, two, three, four. I see four men walking around in the fire and they're unbound and unharmed. And actually the fourth man looks like the son of God's. And the text never tells us who that fourth man is. Some scholars, they believe it to be Jesus. And that would be the first um, um, part of Jesus that we would see in the Old Testament. It'd be the first time that we would see Jesus in the Old Testament. And some scholars believe it could be an angel of the God who came to be with these three men in the furnace. But regardless of what it is, it's a physical demonstration of God's presence walking with them in the fire. And I don't wanna look over a word. And that word is, look, he says, they're unbound. They're not tied up anymore. They're unbound. And the reason why that's so important is because if you read on in the text, which we will, it says, listen, nothing was burnt. Their, their hair wasn't burnt. Their clothes weren't burnt. Nothing on them was burnt. The only thing that was burnt was the ropes that bound them. That was the only thing that burnt in the fire today was the ropes that bound them. And it's so important because God takes us through the fire because he wants to unbind the ropes that have been holding us down for so long. And I don't know what that is for you this morning. Maybe it's a trauma that you've dealt with for years. Maybe it's wounds from your past, but it's the strongholds that have been holding us down for so long. And God's saying, listen, in the fire, I'm gonna take those ropes off you so you can walk around freely. Nothing else, nothing else goes up to, into flames except the ropes that bound these three men because he unbinds people in the fire. Verse 26, King Nebuchadnezzar, he then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and he shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, servants of the most high God. His tune changes very quickly. Come out here, come here. So he calls each of the men by names, but you notice how he doesn't call that fourth shiny guy to come out. He's like, except you, you, got, you can stay in there. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego come out of the fire and the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the royal advisors crowded around them. And they saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor a hair of their, of their heads was singed. Their robes were not scorched and there was no smell of fire on them. Not even a smell of fire remained on them. And I love that detail. I love that detail because um, my family, we love having fires in our backyard. We love having fires in our backyard. We, we go to friends and, and we have fires and we sit around the fire and we hang out and we talk and we laugh and we have community and we have s'mores, but we love fires. There's not a season that we don't have a fire. The only thing is, the only negative thing about a fire is the smell that you get afterwards. And if we have a fire at night, which we usually do, we try, usually we try to at least take a shower before we go to bed. 
Because if we don't, our bedding will reek of smoke, our sheets will reek of smoke, and then we have to wash them a couple times. And our hair, the hair is the worst thing to, to get the smell out. It just doesn't get out. But you still smell of smoke. And I love that detail. Have you ever met people like that? Have you ever met people that walk in their fire in their life and, and you meet them and you see their character and you see um, how they hold themselves and their demeanor and they don't even smell like smoke? It's like you've been through that level of, of abuse and, and you're still so kind to others. You have been treated so unfairly and you still love so deeply. You've been betrayed terribly and you're still out making friends. How? You don't even smell like smoke. And that's the kind of God that we follow. He takes us through the fires. He walks with us in the fires and he changes us from the inside out. And he makes us more like Jesus where we don't even smell like smoke. So then Nebuchadnezzar says this, he says, praise be to God, to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any other God except their own. Therefore, He's got a new decree. He says, I decree that the people of any nation or language or who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they should be cut into pieces and their houses be turned into piles of rubble. And then he says this, which sounds like there's kind of a heart change going on with King Nebi. He says, for no other God can save in this way, which we know that's true. So then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. And here's what I want to take away this morning from this story. Is the furnace is inevitable. The furnace is inevitable. And maybe we have someone here this morning who is thinking, yes, I am in my furnace right now. Again, every situation's different. And maybe you're not in a furnace. Maybe you just got out of one. Or maybe you're sitting there thinking, my life's great. Hate to tell you, there's probably a furnace coming. The furnace is inevitable. And you cannot live your life without having any furnace moments. And everybody's furnace is different. And the problem is the furnace doesn't ask our opinion. The furnace doesn't ask, wait, are you a good person? Oh, you are, okay. Or are you, do you follow God? Do you try to be more like Jesus? Oh, okay, well, if that's the case, then here's your hall pass. The furnace doesn't care. The second thing is, and actually with the furnace being inevitable, I wanna make this really clear here this morning. The furnace never comes to punish you for your sins. It never comes to fun, punish you for your sins. And, and maybe you grew up thinking that. Maybe you grew up believing that. Maybe someone along the way told you that was true. But someone, Jesus, punished for your sins long ago on the cross. The furnace is not here to punish you for your sins. The second thing is the furnace is a revealer. When you're going through your moments, your, your storms, the hard times in your life, the furnace is a revealer. And it reveals who you really are. 
it reveals your character, and it reveals who you're becoming. And it will tell you what you really believe and what you're really made of. And God in this time will reveal things to you that maybe you don't want to see, maybe you don't want to hear, maybe you don't want to acknowledge, but he will bring things to the surface of your heart that you will have to deal with in the furnace. And what we know is fire, it can be really damaging. I mean, when we have fires in our backyards, our kids are not allowed in the backyard without a grown-up or a parent because we know accidents happen, someone could get burned, fire can be really damaging. But steel workers also know that fire can be refining. It can be refining and actually when the fire cools, you come out looking way stronger than what you did before. And the third thing is, you're not alone in your furnace. You are never alone in your furnace. And God showed up in history. God showed up in history. We read that through the Old Testament and the New Testament. He showed up in history and he is still showing up in our lives today. That's why he's called Emmanuel, God with us. And he will continue to walk with us in whatever situation that we may be in because he's Emmanuel. And a reminder here this morning, the the Bible is not an old book of what has happened. The Bible is a timeless book that tells us what always happens and that he walks with us. God says, I will leave the throne room and join you in the fires on this earth earth. And isn't that exactly what Jesus did? That's exactly what Jesus did. He took our pain, he took our death in order to rescue us from our fires just to promote us so we could be with his and him for eternity. So I wanna close with this. So for those of you who have kids here this morning, a lot of you do, I saw half of them on the stage, but I'm sure you know what I'm talking about in this moment. So our kids are seven and nine and, and they don't do this like they used to, but, um, they used to get scared in their rooms about the silliest things. Uh, Maybe they saw a shadow, maybe they heard a noise, maybe they thought something was under their bed, but they would be so scared. And they would come to our room and for a long time, Jeff and I would be like, just get in. We don't have time for this. We need to sleep, just get in. But then after a while, we're like, no, we need to sleep. So we would take them back to their beds and maybe we would sit with them, say prayers with them again, lay with them. But in that moment, here's what happened. The circumstance didn't change. The shadows were still there. The the creaks of the old house were still happening. We didn't get that monster from out of the bed, but here's what changed is we were with them. We sat with them, we laid with them, we talked to them. and, And even though their circumstance didn't change of what they were fearful of, they felt different. Because we were with them, they felt safe, they felt secure, they felt loved, and they knew it was gonna be okay. And that's what God does here this morning. He will sit with us and walk with us and and make us feel safe and secure and know that it's gonna be okay. So we're gonna close out with this song and I just want your, your mind to just really read these words that we're not alone. He's always been with us and he is able to say, but even if he doesn't, he's never left us and he never will.